We'll be uh, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 again. Been going over the fruit of the Spirit, and tonight we'll be discussing kindness. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. God, my Father, God, we rely on you and you alone. God, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would give us ears to hear your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth uh, from these lips, Father. God, that you would do with these words what man cannot do alone. That your Holy Spirit will prick the hearts of each person here, Father, that we would become more like you. God, that we would hear your word and we would learn to submit to your word, Father, to be molded into what you would have us to be. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church and use this church mightily. And, Father, that we would learn, uh, learn a type of kindness, Father, that, that um, God, that we experienced, um, God, that you gave us by sending your son to us, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that, that we would learn that kindness and, God, that we would replicate that kindness to others. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love, in Paul's definition of love in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, one of the ways that love is defined is that love is kind. Love is kind. It's patient and it's kind. And so we must be likewise. We must be patient and kind. One of, one of the reasons why we need to be kind, and, and, and the first kindness that I want to look at tonight, is the kindness of God the Father. You know, it's God the Father who looked at us, and He pitied us. He looked at, at people who, in and of themselves, could do nothing for themselves, could not save themselves, didn't deserve the grace and the kindness that he showed us and he provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. And so, and so to really think about that, to, you know, when, when we, when we get up in the morning to, to think about like the kindness that God showed me, I don't deserve. Lamentations 3.22 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies Never come to an end. We were, we were speaking in Sunday school this morning, and we were talking about bold prayers. And, and we were discussing, like, how to pray Scripture back to God. And, and you know, I, in, in the middle of the lesson, you know, I started discussing that with the students. And I thought that that would be something that might be valuable. I know that we spoke on prayer at length uh, last year. But I'm not sure that I really touched on this aspect of it in, in all of those sermons. We, I know we talked about praying scripture, but how to pray scripture. Here where it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. How do you pray that back to him? Here he speaks to us. This is that, this is that language, you know, where he speaks to us and then we speak back to him in prayer. And one of the, one of the uh, most efficient ways, one of the ways that I know that, that God wants us to speak to him is to speak his word back to him. Oh Lord God, we know that your love is steadfast. God, we, we know that your love never 
ceases and that your mercies never come to an end. We pray that in our lives, Father, that you would give us that steadfast love and that mercy. In Romans 2, 4, Paul asked this question, do you think of the riches of his kindness? I mean, we're supposed to be thinking on those things. Do you think of the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The kindness of God, his goodness. You know, y'all know that we are all exhibit A's, if you want to put it like that, when it comes to the display of love, of, of love and kindness that God showed us. You know, we should all be that that shining exhibit, that example for the, for the world to see. Uh, you ever heard this saying? You probably have. When you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? You see a turtle on top of a fence post, what do you know? Somebody put it there. He didn't get there on his own. And, and when you think of that in context of, of where we are, when you see... When you see us, that's, that's what the world should see when they see us is that we're that exhibit. We are that, that example. Like I know that he didn't get there, that she didn't get there on their own. That God has done a work in their lives. In the um, Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he will show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. They hear God the Father that he would show his surpassing riches towards us in that of in that person of Jesus Christ. I think one of the most beautiful illustrations of human kindness that you can see in the Bible is that of King David with his treatment of Mephibosheth. Uh, scripture records this question that David gives. You know, that is uh, the crippled young man that is the, um, it's the grandson or is the neck of, of uh, Jonathan. So the grandson of Saul and, uh, and the nephew of Jonathan or son, son of Jonathan. I'm sorry. But here you see this this was uh, David's close friend. The one that was closer than a brother to him was Jonathan. And, but, but this was also, as far as the kingdom goes, remember, I mean, David was on, was on the run more uh, in fear of his life because, you know, Saul was always trying to kill him because David threatened the throne. And so now this is the only living relative in that line. The only one that could threaten the throne of David. Uh, and instead of shunning, putting him in prison, maybe even killing him, you know, the promise that he makes to Jonathan you know, is that he would take care of his descendants, his family. And so here, what do we see David do? He asked this question, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so he's looking for that. He is, he's going out of his way. He's being very intentional. 
You know, it's not it's not like someone came up and said this to him that, you know, I am the grandson of Saul. I am the son of Jonathan. He's being very intentional. He wants to seek him out. Not only does, does he go seek him out, he sends someone to get him and bring him back. Doesn't just send word to him. Hey, if you want, if you want a place at the king's table, you can come. He goes and seeks him out. He's very intentional with his kindness. And he. And he gives him all that he can give him. He is treated as royalty. Isn't that what God did with us? He sought us out. The lost sheep. He went and got us. I mean, is that how you feel? Is that the story of your life? That he, he intentionally, I mean, that he would put barriers in the way you... You were wanting to go left and he pushed you right? That he sent people in your path that declared truth and, and they did it in love and, and did it in kindness. And, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, y'all think about it, the, that when you think of acts of kindness, they can stop you in your tracks, can't they? Like when someone intentionally goes out of their way to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, and you know it. You know that they went out of their way to do this. Maybe it was something you could do for yourself, but you know that they sacrificed maybe time and maybe money and that they didn't have to do something. They did it anyway. Sometimes it leaves us scratching our heads, doesn't it? It ought to. It does. It'll stop us dead in our tracks. Like, what was that? It's like this breath of fresh air. Because most of the time, people are so self-consumed. It's hard to see that sometimes. Really, we were watching some, some old shows like Little House on the Prairie this weekend. It seemed like that was always the case on, on the old shows. They were, they were always teaching, you know, like doing teaching moments. And, and, and you know, the neighbors going to help when, you know, when the neighbor was, one neighbor was in trouble, everybody just comes and flocks to help. I'm not saying that doesn't happen anymore, but I'm telling you, you know, I, I know that I know that when I do experience it, when I do see it, it does something to me. You, you see the love in the action. You see the sacrifice. We should be that exhibit for the world to see. God the Father sends the Son. Thinking of the kindness of Jesus Christ. I mean, you could go on and on about the kindness of God the Father and the kindness of Jesus Christ. Jesus uses um, this form, um, the, the word used in Galatians and in the Scriptures I've used so far comes from uh, the Greek, Christos. But in His famous invitation where he says all who are weary and heavy laden to come to him, take his yoke. He calls his yoke easy. That word easy is also Christos. That yoke. You know, here, take, take this yoke. My yoke is easy. It is Maybe not the right verbiage to use the word kind, but it's 
He says it's not burdensome, is it? He is gentle, but he will direct. He is loving. His yoke is beneficial. It is useful. Ephesians 4.32, it says this, be kind to one another. Hey, that one another, it's not leaving people out. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, if we have, if we have any reason for forgiveness, there it is. To deny a person forgiveness after we've been forgiven is got to be one of the highest forms of hypocrisy for a Christian, for someone who calls himself a Christian, right? How can I deny someone forgiveness when God the Father has forgiven me, when the Son paid it all? Jesus was constantly written about as having compassion. As you go through the gospel, it talks about that, I mean, just over and over again, that that he has compassion for people. And he was moved with compassion. And he'd be moved with compassion, and then he would heal. And he would perform miracles. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have one that's able to sympathize with us in every situation. You know that he has compassion and that in that in that he knew exactly who you were and what you were going to do, and he still went to the cross. So we should be kind because he's kind to us. Because he commands it. We're to be obedient. If we're, we call ourselves followers, then we're to be kind to the world because of the example that he lays before us. And, we, and we've talked about this before. As we've gone through Galatians 5, you know, 22 and 23, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, The Spirit is the one that enables you to have that kindness. You know, there's no excuse for us not to be kind when we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, giving us that power. Peter writes that believers in 1 Peter 2, 3 have tasted the kindness of the Lord. It is what drew us, right? I mean, that is the thing that, I mean, you know, you heard, you heard it all your life. I, I can't really imagine being that, you know, that, that person, you know, on this remote island that someone comes and, you know, you, you hadn't ever heard of Jesus and then you're 40, 50 years old and then all of a sudden you hear this story that God of the universe comes in human form and gives his life for you. And but then but we ought to get it because for each one of us, if you have been slain, I'm talking about your heart 
has been slain. And what I mean by that is that you are dead in your sins and that you could have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again and nothing. But there was there was that time, though. There was that time where the gospel was preached in boldness and truth. And you may have heard it time and time again, preached in boldness and truth. But that the Holy Spirit. He moved upon your heart and your life. In a way that you had never experienced before. And you saw really for the first time the kindness of God. It's something that that uh, Brother Tony brought up recently and also Brother Brian brought up recently is the necessity, the necessity of knowing the truth about ourselves. You know, I'm thankful that that I hear that from the pulpit because so many people see, I don't I don't know. I don't know what type of church experience that some of y'all have had, but some of the church experience that I've had told me I was good and I believed it. And, and I had no idea at the time how much that was holding me back in my faith of what was necessary for God to slay my heart to show me that how wonderful he is. Not, not to worship myself, but to worship him. To give him praise and glory. Now how, can I, how can I give praise and glory to him when I'm busy stuck on myself? It's, it's not to down us or disregard us. It's just to, it's just to show rightly where we fall. It's to show rightly where he belongs. And in that, you know, I think it was, I think it was Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, when they got out into, into the space and, and they looked back at the earth and he could put his thumb up and just his thumb would cover the earth with his thumb, right? Perception. And he said it, it was that moment that, that you would think that I would feel so big, right? But he said, all I could feel was very, very small. Because there, it's just a dot from here. And how small I am on that dot. But he said, but also, I could feel how very, very big God is. And that's what we need. We need that. We need to see how big our God is and how strong and powerful He is and how merciful and kind He is. Thank God for Him showing me that. Uh, see, Norman Bartlett says that kindness, also, um, you know, some versions say gentleness. Uh, is interchangeable there. But he says this, it's the spontaneous overflow of love in the heart. I told y'all when we started this, you know, the first one, the first word that we looked at was love and how love really, it catapults all these other fruit. And he says, 
that kindness is the spontaneous overflow of love in the heart. That, that when, when the Holy Spirit takes over, that, that that love will breed these things. That that real, authentic love from Christ, that these things will naturally outflow from them. It is the Spirit that would... Re- now listen to this closely. This is what he says. It's the Spirit that would rather be hurt by others than hurt others. That got me. Do I have that? Christ did. He'd rather be hurt by others than to hurt others. That's different, isn't it? That that is stop in your tracks different. I don't care what you say. When someone lives that out in the lives around them, people take notice. When you can see that evident in, in a life that you're around every day, that they would, they would take the bullet. Literally. They would rather hurt than have you hurt. Boy, you get around that for a moment. Get around that kind of love and that kind of kindness is life-altering. It is. He says, would that more of us were as tender-hearted as we are thin-skinned, as impulsive in kindness, as explosive in anger, we need to cultivate resourcefulness and kindliness to gain proficiency in the artistry of applying Christian love to the hearts and lives of those with whom we come into contact with. If that we could live as Christ lives in displaying that type of kindness to think of others before we think of ourselves. The Christian is to show kindness by behaving towards others as God has behaved towards us and that he has adopted us, that he has sacrificed for us. So that the Christian should put on Christ. We should put on Christ. Paul writes to the Colossian saints regarding their new Christ-like garment. Calls it a Christ-like garment. Commanding them as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I mean, we're we're to be clothed in this. That, that, That ought to be what people see. That's what should be evident in our lives. I mean, you think about it. You, if you're, if you're going to give a police report, one of the first things they ask you is what? Well, they have on. you got to describe it, right? People ought to see this. When they, when they think of you, if they were to give a report on who this is, how should they see us? Can we say that they see us as compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient? Do they see us as that? Would we be described as that? Would, we, would, we, would your spouse describe you as that? Would your children? Would your parents describe you as those things? The people that are closest to you, would they describe you as those things? Is that what you're known for? And, and how often do we pray this? 
God, give me this. I want to be clothed in these things. Um, one author writes this, that he sweetens the temper, corrects an irritable disposition, makes the heart kind, disposes us to make all around us as happy as possible. As possible, we live peaceably with all men if possible. But that, but I told you, I mean, if you're going out of your way to be kind to people, you're intentionally being kind to people. Tell me, tell me, what kind of change is that going to make in the relationships that you hold? You can't tell me that that's not going to brighten people's day. That you're not going to be someone that people love to be around. If you're intentionally being kind to people, doing things for them. Spurgeon says that kindness is consideration for others, readiness to help them in any way that we can. Jesus also taught, taught us to um, be kind to our enemies. In Luke 6.35, he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We need to pray for lost people. We need to be kind to lost people, to our enemies. Kindness is also delivering the truth. It is kind to deliver the truth. Jesus would look on people with compassion and tell them the truth. And the truth hurt. He was actually being kind to the Pharisees by giving them truth. He was. Because if you don't give people truth, they die in the lie. Right? We're not being kind to people by skirting that issue. We have to deliver truth. Now we can do it in a loving and gentle way. And that's, that's what we need to practice. We need to be people who practice being gentle and loving when declaring truth into people's lives. Not going out and talking about them. Sitting them down. Praying for them. Praying with them. Reasoning with them. You know? Um, in Psalm 25, 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. Kindness may not be pleasant. In fact, it may feel like more like a blow to the head at times. It may not take it as kindness. But in Proverbs, it says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is all for my head. Psalm 141.5 Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers that wasn't pleasant but it was kind because Jesus was exposing their sin. A kind physician cuts deep to get your cancer. It would not be kind for a physician to not tell you all and to deal with the disease in a way that, that cures you, would it? It hurts, but it's necessary. 
Are we kind? That's the question that I want all of us to ask tonight. Are we kind in our speech, in what we say? Are the words that we speak kind? Or are they filled with rudeness? Are we snide? Are we belittling in our comments? Are we sarcastic in our comments? And look, y'all don't get me wrong, okay? There, there is also a sense among a family, right, that, that we can joke. And you know who you can joke with, who you can play around with. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being unkind. I'm talking about killing the spirit and killing the mood. We can all, we're all guilty of that. In our homes, on our jobs, in the church. We're, we've all been guilty of those things. Okay, so this isn't directed, you know, at, at just you. It's directed at all of us. We all need to practice being kind to one another. Doesn't mean we got to stop picking around. We are a family. We're a church family. But it, but it does mean that we need to be conscious of the things that we say can hinder people. And so, so we need to look at that. Are we kind in our disposition, in our gestures, in our facial expressions, in, in the way that we carry ourselves? Are we open? Are we warm? If someone came into our midst, a visitor came into our midst, looking for a church home, what would they think? Are, are we welcoming? Are the looks that we give kind and warm and inviting, are they looks of disdain and disapproval and cold and distant? We need to think about that. Are we kind in our actions? Of course, this one is, is the most important. They're all important, but this one's the most important. Because you can do the first two, and if you don't do this one, then it carries no weight, does it? But are you kind in your actions? Um, these, these actions can, can do so much to either hinder the gospel message, or they can further it. Because, I mean, y'all think about it. If we're up here preaching this truth, but yet we don't live it out in front of the people that we preach to, then it carries no weight. So if you're out there on your job, if you're in your home and you're trying to win a lost family member, a lost co-worker, a lost neighbor, you know, a lost you know, fellow classmate, if you're out there amongst the world and you're trying to win them and you're preaching the truth, but yet you're not even kind. You're, you're not even loving. That the, the actions that you show are self-interest. You might talk a good game, but they can they can see right through us that that we're all about self. We're all about getting ourselves in line first, and you know, getting our piece of the pie. And we're not we're not self-sacrificial. It's very evident to see. You know, one one of the things that that I'm trying to get to is where I don't complain as much. Because, I mean, I think about how does that look to lost people around me if all I do as a Christian is complain? Yeah, and, so, and so what are our actions like? Are the actions that we make kind and caring and self-sacrificing, they, they will disarm. They will disarm your opponents. And what I mean by that is that if there are lost people out there the, 
the first thing that should come, not necessarily saying that we, that we shouldn't preach the truth first, but y'all think about it. What I'm saying is this, is that relationship, relationships where, where, I, where I intentionally seek that person out, where I'm kind to them and loving to them, they can bring down the walls to share the truth. Can bring down that wall that that person has to share the truth. We can disarm them with kindness, or they may have um, had a bad church experience, and and now they don't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. They something horrible may have happened in their past, and they blame God. They don't hear anything about God, but yet if we intentionally seek them out and and we shower them with love and kindness, then those walls come down. And we get, to, we get to continue speaking to their lives the truth. They'll listen to us. We build a relationship with them. And we have to intentionally go after people, I believe, in that way. Um, that doesn't mean that we, don't, you know, that we don't go out and evangelize. I believe there's a place for that, too. But I'm talking about those relationships, people that you're going to see day in and day out. We need to be intentionally winning them with kindness and love. In her memoir, The Journey from Being a Committed Lesbian to a Committed Christian, Rosario Butterfield says that as a non-Christian, her impression of evangelical uh, Christians was that, that they were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. After publishing a critique of an evangelical group, Christian group in the 1980s, the you know, the promise keepers, and they came out. You know, this, this lady, she was doing um, some research on the, the moral majority, the, the right-wing conservative movement in the 80s and 90s. And so she is, she publishes this critique about the promise keepers, and in a local newspaper, she received an enormous volume of polarized responses. She placed an empty box in the corner of her desk, of each corner of her desk. She sorted through the hate mail, um, in, and she put that in one box, and then fan mail in another. So she was getting both for, for her work. Then she received a two-page response from a local pastor. She says this, it was a kind and inquiring letter. It had a warmth and civility to it. In addition to its probing questions, she couldn't figure out which box to put the letter in. So it sat on her desk for seven days. She said it was the kindest letter of opposition that I've ever received. Its tone demonstrated that the writer wasn't against her, but was against what she was doing. She could see that. I mean, I want you to think about this. All that hate mail that she received, this one letter stood out. This one letter, it stopped her. It stopped her dead in her tracks. She couldn't stop thinking about it. It was different. There was something that was so different about this letter than, than Christians that she had encountered with before. Eventually, she contacted the pastor became friends with him and his wife. They talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. Their friendship was an important part of her journey to the faith. Her first book was called 
the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. It details her, com uh, her conversion and the cataclysmic fallout in which she said this, when she became a believer, she lost everything but the dog, yet she gained eternal life in Christ. And she is still a believer today and is happily married with children, former lesbian. How did it start? It started with kindness, but truth. We must, we, we got to remember, church, it's, it's how God brought us to the gospel. It may have been painful, but we saw his kindness and his goodness. His truth slayed our hearts. And we were one to the gospel because of what he did. We have to remember, church, that love is kind. Let us be kind. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for your, your word, your truth. God, I pray, Lord, that it would resonate in our hearts, Father. God, that we would be called to live out that truth and uh, not be ashamed of it. God, help us to be kind to those around us, uh, inside and outside the church, at our homes, at our uh, places of employment. God, everyone that we come into contact with, Father, help us to live that, live that out. God, we thank you for Christ, that he paid the ultimate. It was the ultimate act of kindness and goodness was his sacrifice on the cross. God, we thank you for his resurrection and that through his blood that we can receive an eternal redemption, eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.